Thank you, David. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, you can show that first video clip. That comes later. So this is me being lost in the wilderness. <laughs> now it's a little bit of an overstatement. I wasn't deeply lost and it's not very wild wilderness. You can hear the wind blowing in the background. My wife and daughter had taken a trip on their own last week and so for me, rather than moping about alone at home, I went to a place with which I was very familiar. I grew up in Michigan. This is on the top of the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Park in Michigan, a place I went to when I was a kid, often with my parents, a place I took my kids to, and now my grandkids. And so I decided to go to this place of familiarity that's really a beautiful nature setting. And I went a little bit farther than usual, right? Just wandered farther afield in this vast expanse of dunes. And it was lovely, but at some point the clouds came in, and I became lost. Now, it still wasn't actually that threatening, right? There aren't wild beasts out in the dunes of Michigan. There are no cliffs to fall off, no lava fields exploding. And the truth is it's kind of hard to get lost these days anywhere. Big Lake, Michigan was off to my west, north-south, providing a good marker for where to go. <laughs> and I had my cell phone with me. It's really hard to actually get out of range these days. So I could look at my cell phone with its GPS capabilities, and I'm the little blue dot in the center of the dunes, which are displayed for me very well on my phone. But what I can see is I'm looking at the blue dot where I need to go and where I'm actually going is I'm heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> and I use it a little bit later, like 10 minutes later, and I'm heading in precisely the wrong direction. <laughs> like exactly the wrong direction. And so I'm feeling a little bit frustrated with myself, but also just a hint of worry, a little hint of apprehension. Now again, I know that nothing's going to attack me out here. The wildest things are very tame deer. <laughs> but I'm thinking to myself, I'm off the path. There really aren't any paths here. I think I'm going in the right direction, but I can't find my way. I might encounter, oh, some poison ivy. But there is that awareness. I'm off the beaten path. I'm out of civilization. There's nobody out here to help me. And it's amazing how quickly wilderness, you know, we, we have this modern conception of wilderness as this desirable thing, but it's desirable in the sense of being in northern Idaho, right? We want there to be wilderness. We want to protect wilderness. Wilderness is lovely and meaningful and important until we are actually in it, right? And in wilderness just means off the path. Off the path there are brambles, and off the path you don't know where you are. Off the path wilderness very quickly reminds you how inhospitable it is. 
how unattuned to you it is. So, I'm going to read to you this morning the, an introduction to the account of the life of Jesus. We have four such accounts in the Bible. I'm going to read to you from the one that's thought to be the first. It was a part of my own personal Bible reading. I came to it again over the past few weeks, and I was stirred by it in new and surprising ways that I want to share with you this morning, okay? And wilderness will feature prominently in what we'll encounter. Uh, So this is from the Gospel according to Mark. Now again, we know according to Mark means it was attributed to Mark. We have no idea if there was actually a Mark It's how attributions were done in the time these stories were written. And so (laughs) some guy named Mark gets all the credit. Um, And as I read to you, I just, I I, I encourage you to have one additional thing in mind. So when a person writes a story and they want you to get to the end, we know that it's really important that they provide a hook, right? Some way of grabbing your attention at the beginning so that you'll have an increased commitment of making it through to the end. If they have something at the end that they want you to read, the beginning is really important. You know, so so blood spattered the walls, or the object looming from above grew larger and larger, or do you like green eggs and ham? (laughs) Right? A good hook is important. So as I read this to you, I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs, Be thinking to yourself, is this a good hook? Does it work on me? So, the beginning of the good tidings of Jesus, the anointed, as has been written by Isaiah the prophet, see, I send forth my angel before your face, who will prepare your path, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the Lord's way, Make straight his paths. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of the heart's transformation for forgiveness of sins. And all the region of Judea and all the Jerusalemites went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed in camel's hairs and a leather girdle about his loins and would eat locusts and wild honey, And he made his proclamation saying, there comes hereafter one mightier than I, regarding whom I am not fit to bend down and loosen the thong of his sandals. I baptized by water, but he will baptize you by a Holy Spirit. And in those days it happened that Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee, came and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And immediately, rising up out of the water, he saw the heavens being rent apart and the Spirit descending to him as a dove. And a voice out of the heavens, you are my son, the beloved, in you I have delighted. And immediately the Spirit flung him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by the accuser, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now, I don't know about you, but it worked for me. 
I felt like there's a lot going on there that's kind of interesting and exciting and intriguing. At the center of it is this kind of giant myth-like beast called John who's dressed in camel's hair and his loins are girded with leather and he makes proclamations out into the wilderness. And then Jesus appears. He rises up out of the water. The heavens are rent in two. The spirit descends like a dove and he's flung out into the wilderness where he hangs out with the wild beasts, right? There's a lot going on. I would be intrigued. I would want to find out more. What happens? Who are these people? Why are they doing these strange things? But I was stirred too as I read it by something different, something that hit closer to home for me that was more personal. So we have three accounts of the life of Jesus that are really similar to each other. Mark, Matthew, Luke. And the reason that they're similar is it's thought that Mark was the first one written, and then Luke and Matthew came after, and they based a lot of the writings on what Mark had already written and then added to it. So they added additional stories, but they also just kind of embellished Mark's stories, added more details, who, when, where, what, why, things like that. All well and good, some of it targeted towards specific audiences to help specific groups of people do better making meaning of this stuff. But what it means is that Mark is the most spare, the most uh, free from embellishment, the most pared down. And I had the wondering, and this is just me reading it as I'm being stirred by it, my stirring was not just the story, but I felt it personally within myself, a stirring. And here's how at least it worked for me. My perception <clears throat> is that Mark had an awareness of the symbolic, metaphoric possibilities for these stories, that there was meaning in them beyond just what was going on at the time, that meaning could be derived from them or was intended to come from them in a whole lot of domains of human existence, cosmic systems, domains, and personal. And so I think a part of what I was feeling was just personally stirred by this story. What does this story mean to me, for me, about me? How can I experience personally what is going on with John and Jesus as they enter the wilderness? <laughs> and so I began to wonder about my own personal wilderness. You know, I flip back to the story, and the account is just kind of strange, right? When we think of wilderness versus civilization, again, we have this kind of romantic conception of wilderness, but back then, there's no romance about wilderness. Everything was wilderness. Like 99.9% .9 of the face of the earth was wilderness, and wilderness was not friendly. Wilderness did not have um, facilities there for you to you know, make use of them so that you could enjoy the wilderness. It did not have access to the wilderness. There was nothing friendly about it. It was just threatening, untrammeled, uncivilized space. And so if I'm imagining a dignitary coming from afar, a God representative, right? That's what John seems to think is occurring. God is coming in a new and special way to us here. If I'm imagining that happening, and John seems to have a sense that a part of my job is to prepare the way, is to make things ready. I'm some advanced dignitary laying the groundwork for this visit. 
Well, of course it's going to happen where? In Jerusalem. A visiting dignitary, when they come, you are going to want to show off. You're going to want to show them your civilization, your special places, all the important people, the nice structures, the good food, a place of comfort and ease, right? But instead, John goes to the wilderness, and I see him shouting out into the, into the wilderness, right? Get ready! God is coming! And as I'm watching him in my imagination, I, it's like I want to tap him on the shoulder and say, I'm John, who, who are you thinking is listening to you right now? Who is it that is going to prepare for this wonderful arrival? You know, and so then I flip, just within myself. Again, I'm stirred personally. I flip to my own self. And I think, let's say God wants to come to me. God wants to visit me. God wants to encounter me in a new way, inhabit me, come into me in a way that maybe I haven't experienced as deeply before or as powerfully before. <laughs> I am totally channeling my puzzledness about this story, right? Because I'm thinking, man, if God wants to come to me, I want to show him the goodness. I want to show him the good stuff about me, right? God, if you're going to come to me, let's go to when I won the sixth grade spelling bee. That was a thumbs up moment, right? <laughs> or let me introduce you to my wife, my happy children, who are all here gathered in the living room in a photo op kind of setting so you can see how good I am. Or God, let me take you to that little corner of my interior world that's characterized occasionally by generosity and kindness and love, right? God, come, <laughs> come to this little space inside of my interior world. But instead, what I detect is God coming to me and saying, no, I want to go into your wilderness. I want to go into your interior, uncivilized space that's full of wild beasts. <laughs> and so, I have explored my inner world long enough at this stage in my life, to know that it is mostly wilderness, right? Most of why I think, feel, and behave as I do is mysterious to me. Most of the motivations, most of the things that have shaped me, the systems-level things, the hardwiring, nature, nurture, whatever, it is mostly baffling to me. I spend a lot of time in prayer, in meditation, in reflection, in introspection, in therapy, <laughs> where the whole purpose of the thing is trying to help me understand myself better. And I'm just at the front end of that endeavor, right? We have terms for the vastness of our interior space, the unconscious, the id, our unawareness. Right? And I know that it's from this wild, this wilderness within me that a lot of things come that are perplexing to me. 
And so when I imagine God coming and God saying, I want to inhabit your, in, I want to go into your wilderness. I don't want to go into the photo op room. I want to go into the wilderness. I feel, <laughs> I feel ambivalent. You know, for the first thing is like, no, 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 let's not go there. That's not pleasant. Uh. But then more deeply, I think, oh my goodness, you do? That would be amazing. That would be lovely. That would be possibly <laughs> so helpful to me to have you come into that part of my self, right? I trust at this point that God is kind, that God is well-motivated, that God just has my best interests in mind. And so to have this kind being who's deeply perceptive, who brings illumination, who's caring, come into me in that way, in the way that I perceive him coming into the wilderness in this story, that would be amazing. So the story goes on. John, as it says, is a preparer. And he has one idea about how the people receiving God into the wilderness might be able to help that process, might be able to facilitate it, to make it go well. Right? There's a thing that the people can do to help God's entrance, God's inhabiting, go smoothly. And it's called <laughs> confessing their sins. Now for me, right away again, there's deep ambivalence with that. I've talked previously about how my experience of Christianity, and I think much of Christianity for many people, has been a threat-based religion. At the center of the experience of threat is sin, Sin is deeply consequential, can produce trouble, gets us in trouble with God. God doesn't like sin. God would like to smite us, but it doesn't. You know, so there's a looming intensity to sin, and confession historically is deeply tied into that, right? Confession is, confession is telling your sins. Well, that doesn't sound like a good idea, right? <laughs> it just sets you up for trouble. It produces a deep sense of shame. It's like this horrible outing of yourself. People around you will become <laughs> uneasy to be near you because you have sin, right? So the act of confession, confessing sins, ugh. you know, like, I don't know if it's worth the price if that's what I have to do. But when I look in the story and what's going on here and how John seems to be conceiving of how this works, again, it's a preparation. It's a thing to do to help facilitate this entry of God into the wilderness, into my wilderness. And so I inhabit my imagination, my personal imagination of what's going on. God is coming to me. I'd like to enter your wilderness. <laughs> and I think confession, at least in my imagination, is just, okay, well, here's what you might find there. <laughs> right? Like it's, oh, God, I would love for you to enter my wilderness. Here's what I think you might find there. There's some things in there that I don't understand, that I don't like. There are behaviors I keep engaging in that I wish I wouldn't do. There are ways that I harm myself that I don't understand, ways that I harm other people, motivations that I have. It feels like in this context, if God is coming to help me, it's just a moment of honesty. Right? It's just, God, let me be honest with you about what I think you'll find in me. It has nothing to do with shame or shamefulness, guilt, trouble. It's just to facilitate the process. It's just a moment of honesty between myself and God. 
And so I think, okay, <laughs> I'd be willing to give that a try. That again feels warm to me and like an inviting, enticing possibility that could lead to an experience of goodness within myself. And so that leads then to the last image or metaphor that's kind of my favorite in this story. <laughs> Jesus comes, right? The wilderness is a thing. John is in the wilderness. All the people from civilization come to the wilderness. Jesus is baptized in the wilderness. And then the first act of God's spirit is to cast Jesus into the wilderness. Like whoosh, off you go. And what does he encounter? They're wild beasts. But it says he's with the wild beasts. And angels attended him. So you can show the next slide. So... <laughs> Just one of the best stories, like, in the English language. The gift that, to me, keeps on giving is Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. For those of you who don't know it, it's the story of a boy, Max, who makes mischief of one kind and another, meaning he attacks the dog with a fork. And so his mother sends him to bed without any supper. But in his room, in his imagination, the walls become woods, vines hang from the ceiling, and a boat tumbles by. Max gets into the boat and travels across days and weeks and almost over a year to the land of where the wild things are. And when he gets there, he encounters these fantastical beasts. Ugh, big eyes, long teeth, sharp claws, spiky horns. But instead of them eating Max or destroying him, and instead of him destroying them, he just becomes king of all wild things. And as their king, <laughs> the very next scene, they go on a wild rumpus. They swing through the trees. They dance under the moon. They fall asleep together. And I had this wondering as I was thinking about this story, thinking about my own experience, what I think God is about, how God treats my inner world. If Maurice Sendak himself was doing something more than I had previously appreciated, more than just a boy wrestling with being punished and that's no fun, so I'm going to imagine a fantastic journey. But what if he's presenting to us the inner life of a child? You know, a child who wrestles with things like chasing dogs with forks. And then a child looking within that child's self and going on this journey and finding the wild beasts within. But instead of being at odds with them, warring with them, destroying them, them destroying him, they get along. They come to know each other. They enjoy each other's company. There's compassionateness. And wildness isn't so wild after all. And I think about that with Jesus coming into me. I have had this experience that Jesus is so much more compassionate than I thought Jesus was towards everything, including towards the wild beasts within myself, which are plentiful, right? Which I have come to encounter and perceive, and which Jesus has come to encounter and perceive. And so I have this sense now, this whole experience of Jesus coming into my wilderness, encountering my wild beasts, and just being kind 
and bringing peace and peacefulness. They don't necessarily become other than what they were, but Jesus settles down with them and I settle down with them and there's kindness and there's compassion and there's a different experience of this whole endeavor, this whole thing that is going on, this way of Jesus coming into me, helping me know myself, bringing illumination. So I want to say, before I bring it to a close, just an additional thought. If this is true, if what Mark is presenting to us works both as a thing that really happened, but also as a representative way of uh, things happening within you, within me, I feel too like this works on a systems level for us, right? We inhabit systems that produce a lot of badness, a lot of troubling behavior of groups of human beings towards other groups of human beings. Most of how we produce systems-level behavior is mysterious to us, right? We kind of think we know, but the truth is we keep studying and studying and studying and studying and reviewing and revising. We keep doing history. We keep reading things. We keep writing things to try to understand why we behave the way we do in systems. And so it's a vast wilderness. Most of the ways that we mistreat each other or misuse power. And so I feel like the invitation into that is here too. Like this is representative or this can be helpful in that whole endeavor that God wants to inhabit our wildernesses. That a part of what's important on the front end of making that happen is some form of confession and then Jesus comes in to our systems level interactions and is with our wild beasts in a way that can bring peacefulness. So my invitation for us today, I would like to make room for just a minute or two for each of us to experience our own form of reflection, like inhabiting this possibility Right? So if you were to imagine God coming to you <laughs> and saying, okay, it's wilderness time, right? just to let that be a thing, if you feel apprehension, apprehension's fine, normal. Um, if you had a thing to say to God as God comes to you, what would it be? If it was some form of confession, God, here's what I think you'll find there. This is what I'd like you to pay attention to. This is what I need help with. Right? So I'm going to pray and just give a moment to that process for you, and then we'll continue forward together. So God, thank you that you are attentive in surprising ways to our wilderness, to the wild beasts within ourselves. That that's where you want to set up shop and inhabit, not the civilized spaces, not the prepared places. So we give you this moment, come God, with that intention towards us. Amen. 
So we'll continue forward together now in communion uh, and musical worship. Communion is a way of connecting deeply and symbolically with God, God showing God's kindness to us. Um, we have stations at the front and at the back. If this is a way you'd like to experience God or be fed by God, we invite you. Uh, I think the ones at the front are individually packaged. The stations at the back are dipping bread in a cup. Um, so come, join us in communion as you feel ready, and then we will continue forward together in musical worship. Thank you.